Acts 11, verse 19, those who'd been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. It's good news. (laughs) The news that we have is good. Jesus is good news for this nation. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I always love to read sentences like that. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It says again, And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And we had a little bit uh, of an investigative look last week. And I'd like to continue as we talk about the shape of the future for this church. And just to recap a couple of things of the well of the gospel. We've spoken about the well of personal revelation, the well of covenant and covenantal relationships, the well of devotion, the well of worship, the well of the church community, the well of faith, the well of patience, the well of courage, all these things that God has been speaking to us as a church community. And for me, all of those things are part and parcel of this future that God is taking us into and the future that He has in store for us. And I want to say those things again this morning but in an amazing way, say them in the context of a world that is radically changing before our eyes. It is radically changing. We are in the middle of an economic crisis not known since the 1920s. The media, I'm tired of going online to look at the news and the BBC because all I see are daily warnings of impending doom, recession, and the obvious effects of the credit crunch. But you know what? God is still sovereign, and He's still on the throne, and He knew about the credit crunch. He also knew about the greed of men that produced the credit crunch, didn't He? (laughs) And when I preached to you last week, the world is radically different because right in this very week, uh, Barack Obama was elected president of the most powerful nation in the world, and that for me is genuinely a magnificent moment in history. It really is, simply for this simple reason, that for the Martin Luther King Jr. and all those guys that fought for freedom in the, in, in the, in the U.S., this is a living embodiment of a first colored pre- president of the United States. And for generations, and all the slaves that uh, were in the history of the, Uni- of the United States, it's a moment of absolute pivot in the history of that nation and of the world. And for me, that alone makes it remarkable absolutely remarkable. And the world is radically different this week from what it was last week. Yeah, amen. Amen. And the dreams and hopes of generations are tied up in that single little fact of Obama being elected. But what I want to speak to you into the context of, of all these changing things this morning is also that as God is speaking to us, 
about being a gospel-centered community, I felt God just remind me in the last couple of weeks through some things that I've been reading that we need to hold this in our hearts as well, that we are also living in a postmodern world. Okay? A postmodern world with ever-shifting values, and it's into that context that we are called to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to get intellectual or fancy or technical, but I do want to speak about some of those things this morning. It's into the context, that context of us preaching the gospel into a postmodern culture. Effectively, it's something of our future and the success and the growth of this church lies with us coming in in a a radical way, coming to terms with that fact. That this is an ever-changing world in which we live. And I want to say to you as we, as we go forward as a church, a part of our mandate is to understand that more clearly. What does it mean to be a gospel-centered community that can radically impact this city and this nation in the context of a postmodern worldview? If this church genuinely has thousands in its future, and I believe that it does, how do we more effectively minister the good news of Jesus to a community that's growing up in a postmodern culture? And in an attempt to give some sort of answer to these questions this morning and to stimulate some thought for you, I want to just give a short summary of an article by Ravi Zacharias, who is an amazingly well-respected uh, Christian apologist, a Christian thinker, Christian philosopher. And it was out of a, a paper called An Ancient Message Through Modern Means to a postmodern mind. I'm going to summarize some of the points. And he asks a number of questions which I think are vital for us to look at, to, uh, to talk about, and to come to some conclusion of what we hold to uh, as we are part of the century that has involved so much change already. And he simply says things, asks these questions. How did we get to where we are today? <laughs> it's a good question. How did we get to where we are today? And he says this, I perceive that five major shifts have happened in this century. The first major shift was the popularization of the death of God movement. In other words, the rise of atheism in our culture. The second shift was the disorientating blow of religious pluralism. That there are many ways to God. The third is the power to inform through the visual as lines between reality and imagination are blurred. So in other words, film, media, television, which lead to a a surreal understanding of the reality of life, and uh, subcultures like avatars and all those computer-generated subcultures that have begun to rise in our community. The fourth, according to Zacharias, is the lost center of cultural molding. In other words, there's a breakdown of community, and that leads to a breakdown in identity, a breakdown in individuality to become more, more important. The individuality becomes more important than the community. And finally, he says, there's a shifting power to a much younger world. And those are five key things that he says have radically impacted the world in which you live. He goes on to say this, there's a vacuum at the heart of our culture. There's a vacuum at the heart of our culture. And he quotes a guy called Saul Bellow, who's another thinker, and he says this, the intelligent public is waiting to hear from art what it does not hear from theology, from philosophy, from social theory, and what it cannot hear from pure science. A broader, fuller, more coherent, 
more comprehensive account of what we human beings are, who we are, and what our lives are for. If writers do not come into the center, it will not be because the center is preempted. It is not. In other words, he's very simply saying that there's no center to hold things together. There's no center anymore. So if that's true, if that's the kind of world that we are in and the kind of world that we are called to minister into, what is the result of those things? And again, he says five things. And I, as I read these, there was a resonance in me and I said, that's absolutely what we are facing right now and I want to give them to you. One, he says, the first is philosophy, the philosophies move towards existentialism. Okay, now that's a fancy word, but... There are, there are philosophers called John, some, you might have heard these names, John Paul Sartre, people like that. And what, what they said was that man is the measure of all things. And that was very popular thinking in the 60s and 70s. And so they were simply saying man is the center and the measure of all things. But what they didn't do was to pause and tell us that actually evil men, <laughs> evil men can wrestle power and use the very means of their own uh, freedom to destroy their own people. And if you know anything about the Vietnam War and how the Viet Cong behaved, it was largely out of an existential worldview that they did that. And those atrocities were committed. Secondly, he says this. He says, not only is there a move towards existentialism in our thinking, there's a, in the artistic world, there's a move towards sensuality sensuality. And there's a proliferation of sexual material from books to magazines and now the internet, and that has incomprehensible ramifications for our community. I don't know about you, but it's not even safe anymore if you've got, uh, if you've got Sky television just to flick the channels. It's not safe anymore. Even at seven o'clock in the evening, it's not safe. And if you have Sky, I want to ask you to be radically, radically disciplined in what do you allow your kids to watch and what you watch. It's so easy. It's just a little flick now and you can skip past a channel that you shouldn't be seeing. And that kind of contact is brought in right into your living room now. You don't even have to go out and pay to see it. It's brought right into your living room. And for me, it's a scary thing. We're growing up in a culture where young people are increasingly sensual in everything that they are watching, hearing, giving themselves to. The third, Zacharias says, is this. That religion is moving towards mysticism. <laughs> okay? And what's one of the most popular religions right now is Buddhism. Why? Buddhism, well, it's, it shows a widespread interest in spirituality. And um, it's a classic example of how to be good without having God. It's a, it's a, it's a philosophy that uh, purports that you can be ethical without having absolutes. We need to be aware of that. And fourth, he says this, uh, we witness that education is moving towards skepticism. In other words, you can't believe anything anymore, you can't teach me anything anymore, you can't be sure of anything anymore. That's the kind of worldview that education is now embracing. And the last thing he says, the fifth thing he says, is that the fifth result of these changes in thinking is that the individual becomes transcendent. In other words, you are your own divine being. In other words, you might read something, but you are sovereign over the author that is writing what you are reading, and you are the judge of all things. All things of truth. 
results on, is, is, your response is the most important thing. And if that is true, if those five things are true, and we are trying to minister into this community and preach the gospel, there are some profound and deep challenges that we have to embrace. It leaves us, if we want to be a gospel-centered community, facing a future with having to have our eyes wide open and our ears wide open and to rise to the challenge of living in a post-modern world and the challenges that might bring to us. Well, where does that leave us? Well, Zacharias says this, and I was greatly encouraged when he said this. He said this, the challenge is how to communicate to a generation that hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings. That is the challenge that we face right now. How do we communicate the gospel of Jesus to a generation that hears with its eyes and thinks with its feelings? And I'm not saying that we, need, we change the message in order to be relevant into, the, into a postmodern culture. I'm not saying that at all. But we have to become more effective in how we communicate the gospel into this culture that is mystical, sensual, skeptical, individualistic, and puts itself at the center of all things. We've got to find a way of preaching the gospel into that context. You with me? Now, please, I'm not trying to be technical. I'm not trying to be intellectual. I think this is a profound challenge that faces us as a church going into the future. This is something of the shape of our future. We've got to get to terms with this. Well, Zacharias says there are some things that are great opportunities for us as believers. And here are three things I want to say to you. Firstly, he says this, the postmodern mindset may be one of the most opportune thought patterns presented to us for the propagation of the gospel because in a sense, it's cleared the playing fields. There is no... All, um, all disciplines have lost their final authority. So in other words, everything is treated equal, and in that context, we can stand up and preach the gospel as equal. And I know Jesus is not equal to, 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 uh, to, to Buddha. I'm not saying that. But there's a context where we, our opinion needs to be heard, and in the, in the postmodern worldview, it has to be heard because all opinions are considered. That's a great thing. We can use that to our advantage. Secondly... He says this, there's just enough of the modern worldview left so that reason has a point of entry. So we can still talk and think and reason logically with people, but we have to be wise about that. And we mustn't get overly argumentative. So there's a sense of how we present things. Present them reasonably because people want to think reasonably. Amen? Thirdly, and this for me excites me, he says, for him, there is a tremendous search in the postmodern mindset for community. People want to belong. People need relationship. As the world gets ever more fragmented and individualistic, people love and need community. And only the gospel message, it's only in the gospel message that there's a culmination of worship, which brings brings coherence into people's lives, and which in turn, as it brings coherence into our lives individually, it brings coherence into the lives of the church community. And then, both the individual and the community find their place. And for me, that's incredibly exciting. The worship 
of the living God is ultimately what binds all these things together and gives focus. A worshipping community in spirit and in truth can bind together the diversity of culture, the diversity of our backgrounds, and it brings us together into a corporate expression of worship. And for me, we, we came here to this community with this promise in our hearts that God said this would be a multicultural, multi-generational church, and that's why it's called Forest Town Church, because there are a lot of different trees that shouldn't grow together, in, in, and they all require different environments, but in God it is possible for this thing to grow up and to be a blessing in the place what was a desert before, that it would turn it into a forest. A worshipping community. Zechariah says this, he says, the most powerful evangelistic tool to the postmodern mind is going to be a worshipping community. Worshipping community. Let this become a worshipping community community. Amen? And then he talks about uh, being uh, observant about God's message, uh, sovereign intervention in history. And lastly, he says this, which I thought was also an amazing thing. He says, he quotes G.K. Chesterton, and uh, G.K. Chesterton said this, meaningless does not come from being wary of pain, but meaninglessness comes from being wary of pleasure. We have exhausted ourselves in this indulgent culture. We have exhausted ourselves in this indulgent culture. And he quotes a guy called Daniel Yankovic who wrote this um, uh, article and he said this which really stood out to me. He said, if you feel it's imperative to fulfill all your needs and if these needs are contradictory or in conflict with those of others or are simply unfillable, then frustration inevitably follows. He says this, to many, and this is like the world in which we live, self-fulfillment means having a career and marriage and children and sexual freedom and autonomy and being liberal and having money and choosing nonconformity and insisting on social justice and enjoying city life and enjoying country living and enjoying simplicity and graciousness and reading and good friends and so on and so on. And so on. That's what's happened. So the, the individual is not truly fulfilled by becoming ever more autonomous. If we move too far in this direction, we risk psychosis, which is the ultimate form of autonomy. Psychotic individuals. And then he says this. He says the injunction that to find yourself you must lose yourself. Contains the truth. Any seeker of self-fulfillment needs to grasp. What an opportunity to preach and to lead people to the cross of Jesus Christ. To find yourself, you lose yourself. How do you do that? By embracing the cross of Jesus Christ. My friends, I want to say this to you this morning, that I am so excited about what God has for us as a church. I am so excited. I am thrilled to be part of a church that wants to be a church that puts Christ at the center. I'm thrilled. Can I remind you about what we talked about last week? The church in Antioch 
And the church, we also read of the church in Corinth and other places in the New, New Testament, but the church in Antioch in Acts 11 and Acts 13, and in the many other places of, of the ancient world where the church was birthed, faced challenges in their culture, in the preaching of the gospel, that are remarkably similar to the challenges that we face right now. We don't have to change the gospel, we just have to preach the gospel. We don't have to become all seeker-sensitive to get people saved. Do we need to be aware of people's needs? Yes, we do. But we don't need to water down the message in order to see people saved. We need to radically preach the gospel of Jesus in a postmodern culture. And I was just looking, and in, in, in a number of circumstances, for example, Acts 17, we read of Paul going to Athens. And there he sees this idolatrous, idolatrous community. Every idol under the face of the planet and there's even an idol, a statue to the unknown God. <laughs> and so he says, let me reason with you, and let me point you to who this unknown God is. And off the back of that, he preaches the good news of Jesus. He preaches the gospel. He says, in Christ, all things hold together and live and move and have their being. And he preaches the gospel into this idolatrous culture, and people are saved. Amen. You don't have to change the message. We just have to preach the message. We read of the sensuality of Corinth. Do you know that in the ancient world, to Corinthianize was a way of saying to be sexually licentious. That was in the language of the culture. That's how sexually licentious it was. And into that context, they preach the gospel, and a church is established, and people are changed radically. And that's why Paul writes and says, don't do that stuff anymore. Because you're in Christ. You don't live like that anymore. You're in Christ. And this grace of God has come, set you free. You are radically different. Well, now live differently. Don't live like the culture says you should live. And my friends, if you are looking for a loophole, people who are not married should not sleep together. Don't come to me with loopholes of trying to find a way to do it. I've had that. Uh, what do you think? And what, when, you kind of, when you kind of really just scratch a little bit, what they're actually looking for is a loophole, a justification. Oh, my friends are all doing it. And is it really in the Bible? Is it really there? Yes, it is. I'm not angry. I'm just saying. Let's not try and make excuses. Don't look fight for the loopholes. Are you a lawyer looking for the loophole or how not to pay the insurance? Ask Bruce about that. He's got some stories. Mystical. Let's not, let's not allow that to put us off from preaching the gospel. What about Paul's confrontation with the magician who saw the amazing miracles that Paul performed and he said, I want that power. I want that power. Can I buy that power from you? Can I pay some money? Well, Paul was preaching into a, a mystical context as well. And what did he just do? He preached the good news of Jesus. And people were healed because of the power of the Holy Spirit and people got saved. Don't need to change the message. Let's not try and say, well, we're living in a postmodern world. It's so difficult. It is difficult, but it's no more difficult than what the apostles actually faced in the early church. And I don't have any scars on my arms. Do you have any scars on your arms yet? I don't. I haven't been beaten, haven't been shipwrecked, I haven't done any of that stuff. 
I've paid very little in, with my blood for the gospel. It's not as hard as we think it is. What, some people have insulted me? Yes, they have. Thrown things at me? Yes, even that. Sworn at me? Yes. We were doing an outreach on the streets of Watford once, and we started speaking in tongues, and the the guy, this drunk guy, he just, the demon came out of him, man. He just shouted, and he grabbed the microphone, and was like, well, that's the worst persecution I've had. Let's preach the gospel. My friends, those little stories that I've tried to share with you this morning should give us great courage to be bold as we proclaim Jesus in the midst of an existential, sensual, skeptical, mystic, mystical, individualistic, postmodern culture. Let's preach Christ. Acts 11. What did I say last week? That the church there was birthed in spite of hardship. It was a church with a radical and a passionate love for Jesus. It was a church of the all. They were all faithful with all of their hearts. It was a church where the grace of God was evident to everyone from the outside coming to see. They saw the evidence of the grace of God. It was a church where many were saved. It was a church where many were taught. It was a church where ministry was raised up and released out of the church to be a blessing to other communities. It was a church of apostolic partnership where different men came in and were released out of to work and partner together so the gospel could be preached and that the community could be changed. It was a church filled with good men and good women, full of the Holy Spirit and full of power. That's something of our future. That is something of our future. That's the kind of church that God has in mind for us, for Forest Town Church. It's a church in love with Jesus. (laughs) Can I use this word? It's a church besotted. It's absolutely besotted, besotted. It's in a divine romance with the creator of all things, and that results in a passionate, worshiping, gospel-centered community. It's a church where the lonely are put in families because they are planted in a community that loves them. It's a church that because of the DNA, the spiritual DNA inside of, speaks into a post-modern mindset, a post-modern mindset, and it doesn't alienate itself from that culture, but it still preaches the good news. And I can't get onto the second half of my message because I'm going to go way over. But what I would like to speak to you about next week is that as we are growing up in this individualistic community where our own interests are put at the center of everything else, I want to remind you this morning that the church is defined as a community of believers. A community of believers. That's the Bible. A community of believers. And that we in preaching the good news, do not sacrifice the church community for the sake of our individual needs. It's always about more than me. It's about me and you and you and you and you and you and you. Every church community has defined boundaries. Every church community is described in biblical terms as a flock with overseers and shepherds and laborers, co-laborers, and we're going to look at that next week how we can be more effectively be a gospel-centered bunch of individuals? No, a gospel-centered community with Jesus in our hearts, all aiming in the same direction, all shooting our arrows in the same direction at the devil, not at each other, at the devil. So the kingdom can come and the good news can be preached to all nations of the world 
and Jesus can come back. That's what it's about. It's important to remember that we have to preach robust truth, robust truth, biblical truth, and that we are trying to reach skeptical people, people that are being trained in sensuality and mysticism, people who make themselves the ultimate judge of their own morality, where the individual makes up his mind about what truth is for him. It's into that context, my friends, that we need to be a bold, worshipping community. Can I encourage you that we are bold preachers of the gospel? Bold preachers of the gospel. The gospel as the final authority. We celebrate the gospel based in history, based in the scripture, centered on the person of Jesus Christ, on his life, on his death, on his resurrection. Let us celebrate that in a worshiping community that loves Jesus. And I put it to you this morning that we need to celebrate that specifically in the community that God has planted us in the well of this local church as we go forward into this new year. Amen? Can you say amen if you agree with me? The church community. And we're going to talk, look at John chapter 10 next week about how Jesus sees his flock, the church. And how we are to shepherd that, how do we take care of that?